This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So do you do you hubba hubba after the live action clone characters in like Attack of the Clones? Welcome, everybody, to the Dagobah Dispatch, and not just any episode of the Dagobah Dispatch. This week, we have Lauren Morgan's dream episode of the Dagobah Dispatch. If she could do this every single week, she would, but she can't. But she can this week. Lauren has ranked every single clone ever. All right, that's not that's not exactly no, no, true. No, 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 no. But she, she has ranked the top 15 clone troopers from mm-hmm. Star Wars, and she will reveal that ranking right here and right now. Plus, we have an interview with Star Wars author Lydia Kang, who has written the next adult novel in the High Republic series, Cataclysm. How does someone uh, write a book that has to fit into a series of other people writing other books simultaneously that all need to feel cohesive and gel together? We will ask her exactly that and a whole bunch more. All that and a bag of chips... Coming up on the Dagobah Dispatch, I'm Dalton Ross saying Roger, Roger to Devin Kogan and Lauren Morgan. Uh, Devin, have you prepared yourself for Lauren's list? I have. I was reading it earlier this morning and going through it, and um, I have some opinions, so I'm very excited to, oh, well, to there talk we go. this through. I mean, I know Dalton has a lot of opinions, and as I was just joking, I basically he basically asked me this so he can yell at me. So, you know, I'm just prepared <laughs> for him to yell at me for the next 45 minutes. I you do know, sometimes how, wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do sometimes wonder if Dalton just like is like, hey, we're gonna have Emlyn on to talk about Jar Jar, or we're gonna have so and so on to talk about so and such and such. And it's just so that he can get really mad and yell at them about Yeah, I think it's so he can on. get his aggression out on us. So wow. you know, he doesn't take wow. it out on other people. But that's just my I feel I, I feel that I have been very gentle to our guests <laughs> and, I would say and that. significantly less gentle to you all. Fair. Um <laughs> That's fair. Uh, before we get to the list, though, a, a quick note. The Mandalorian is starting up next week. Lauren wrote a fantastic article up on EW.com that tells you everything you need to know to get you all caught up for season three. Uh, we will be recapping every episode right here on the podcast, and we will have interviews with I – I laugh because I just – reach into my pocket and pulled out a chocolate that I forgot was there. And now it's like half melted. <laughs> oh no. It's still in the wrapper, but I'm like, what do I do? Do I like put it in the fridge and like refrigerate it or do I just toss it? Better that it didn't go in the washer. Cause I have had yeah, that. That's, true. That's true. Yeah. Very true. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, as, as I, as I were, um, Mandalorian season three, Lauren wrote a great article. Go check it out. We're going to be recapping every episode right here. Every week on the podcast, we will have interviews with the cast. And the showrunners and uh, one or two of the directors during the season. So this is your place to come 
to to get your Mandu, uh, Mando and Grogu. I just mixed like I guess I Mandu. just made them a couple. <laughs> like okay, man, man, Mango. Mango. I don't love that. Uh, <laughs> no. Anyway, this is the place to come. News, views, reviews. We'll have it all here. Um, are you excited to hop back on the Mandalorian train, Devin? Especially since that train appears uh, headed to Mandalore. Yeah, I'm super curious about this. I mean, I feel like they've been teasing this. For gosh, almost a year now. I think we we first got to see some footage at Star Wars Celebration last May, um, and now we're finally here. I don't know about you guys, but I've I've kind of you know fallen down another Pedro Pascal rabbit hole after The Last of Us. So I'm excited to have even more of him on my television um, each week. Uh, and yeah, I'm I'm very curious, kind of as to what. Um, kind of will come next for this because, you know, the last couple Star Wars shows that we've gotten since Mando has been off the air, um, we got Book of Boba Fett, which was kind of a direct sequel and, you know, Mando popped up there. But we've also had some other things, you know, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi was completely kind of self-contained and or, you know, really pushed, I feel like, this franchise forward, um, doing some like really interesting storytelling. So I'm, I'm kind of, you know, Mandalorian is no longer the, you know, the single, um, you know, hot thing on the block. You know, it's 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 just one of multiple Star Wars shows now. Um, so I'm curious as to how it'll kind of you know play out over over the season over the the next couple of weeks. But I'm very excited, and I'm really curious to see um, kind of what the what the new season looks like. Yeah, all excited to to, to check it out and see uh, where it goes. I mean, we know where it's you know going to Mandalore at right. some point. I don't know if they're going to get there in Episode One or not, but. Uh, listen, a lot of jetpacks. Whenever there's mm-hmm. a lot of jetpacks happening, jet I'm happy. So that's all I care about. And we got from the trailer, we got a we got a Babu Frick is gonna show up, and hey. we got a hey hey, <laughs> and we got a tree full of uh Kwaki and lizard monkeys. Um, I was and I'm wondering very though, curious. is it Babu Frick or is it Babu Frick's like father? Like how how long do the Fricks last? Like how how I mean I like how long you know do they have a, a long life like the Grogu or you know like anything just... small lives for a long time in the Star Wars yeah. universe. Like if you're I mean, I don't know, I don't know how old, like how old the, um, I don't know, I guess any of those, those, those the creatures, uh, other creatures, small creatures are, but whatever. Yeah. We'll Salacious crumb could have been around since the beginning of time. Like we, right. we don't know. Ugnots, sure. Do we know how like old Ugnots are? Like I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that Ewoks at least lived for about 30 years because we saw one at the end of Rise of Skywalker. And I wanted to mention that Pedro Pascal came out for Team Ewok this week. So just wanted to mention that. He did. He gave a great interview on on Seth Meyers where he talked about how Return of the Jedi was always his favorite as a kid because of the Ewoks. I was mm-hmm. like, wow. And Seth that's, Meyers that's... came out for T- Team Ewok as well. So good to, good Lauren, to you. you're in good company. I intentionally mm-hmm. did not watch those interviews. Um, <laughs> by the way, it's kind of rude of us to be talking about like species with really long lifespans as we're about to talk in, about a species with a really short <laughs> lifespan, <laughs> which are yeah. the clones. That's the like old, the saddest transition ever. I know. Accelerated aging. Uh, it's like when you're, you know, it's like almost like when you're a kid and you're like, oh, I wish I were older and cooler. And then, you know, you wish you could kind of slow down the clock as you get you get older and less cool on the other side of that. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's clone time. I was speaking with Lauren and uh, Lauren loves her clones. We know this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I said, you know what? Why don't you do like a ranking of all the clones or at least all the clones that have been prominent enough to deserve to be ranked? Because there's, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of clones. Of clones. Over yeah. But uh, but like you know, give us a taste of your of your top clones. So she said, "All right, I'm going to put together a list. I'm going to rank the top 15 clone troopers." So 
Omega doesn't count. Boba Fett doesn't count. Although they certainly are warriors uh, in a fashion. They aren't, they aren't clone troopers. Uh, they're not part of the clone army. So, Lauren, uh, anything you want to say before you're going to take us from 15 to 1 with your ranking? Uh, anything you want to say about the ranking in general, just the way you approached it? Uh, yeah, so I basically, you know, it was basically everyone from the Clone Wars, if they appeared on Star Wars Rebel, if they appeared on the Bad Batch, you know, obviously they started in Attack of the Clones as well. So, like, all of the clone troopers uh, in those properties, basically anyone who's, like, shown up in a in a, an animated show or live action, I, I mean, I'm sure they probably did something in the books or the, or, or the comics with it. But I, yeah, I had to cut it off because there are thousands of these troopers. Uh, and so basically it was just ones that um, sort of made an impression on me. It, it was kind of difficult to rank them at a certain point. Cause like the ranking changed a, a couple of different times. And I kind of like, was like really thinking about like, well, why would this person be above this person? And there are people who I like, you know, clones that I personally like, but didn't think they're quite as interesting as some other clones. So it kind of was like an interesting process to do the ranking by myself. Though number one never changed. Uh, so <laughs> it's just like, I uh, anyone, anyone one. that's listened, anyone that has listened to a single episode of this podcast can probably guess who Lauren's number Who's one. Number one. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Um, yes, yes. All right, but we're, we're going to end with number one. Let's start with number 15. Uh, who is the 15th uh, best clone uh, of all time? Uh, the fifteenth best clone of all time is Hauser, who uh, showed up on the Bad Batch. I mostly uh, gave it to Hauser because of his haircut, which I was just like, I remember when he first appeared on the Bad Batch last year. My timeline, which is very Star Wars heavy, everybody like my entire timeline was hubba hubba, and it was just because of Hauser's haircut. I mean, he looks pretty much like the rest of the clone, but he's got a really cool haircut. He's a good character otherwise, but I just thought it was so funny that day when I was, after I watched The Bad Batch and my entire timeline was like, Hauser, hubba hubba. You know, okay, not so, much else so to first say, off, except I'm shallow first here. Off, Mm-hmm. Let's examine the fact that you're hubba hubbing an animated character, a cartoon character. I mean, that is plenty incredible. of people. I mean, I have and seen a lot of thirst for Robin Hood on the the Fox yeah. Robin Hood and Disney, the Fox so. Robin Hood. Why are yeah, people so me. obsessed with the underst- Fox Robin Hood? I don't understand it myself, but I know people have thirsted after I animated do too. characters. It's yeah, a, it's so. a real thing. It's a mm-hmm. it's a it's a real thing. You know, I. I don't claim to understand okay. it, but it's a thing. Yeah. So do you mm-hmm. do you hubba hubba after the live action clone characters in like Attack of the Clones? Not really, because as I said in my uh, the article that's going to go live, they kind of function more as like plot devices. Though I am glad to see that Hermo Morrison has come back later on and has you know turned his clone appearance there into you know uh, into uh, several appearances in the Star Wars uh, okay. universe. But yeah, but back so, then it was just like they, they were kind of just like they didn't make a huge impression on me when I watched Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. They were more like a plot device. Like we've created the secret like army of clones and now they're going to kill all the Jedi. You know, that's kind of it's how kind of a shame that, that mm-hmm. you know, the movie called Attack of the Clones doesn't do more that, with the yeah. clones. Like yeah. we don't get to spend that much time with them. Like we get to meet, you know, Django and and Boba, and you know, we this is where we meet Commander Cody and you know some of these names. Mm-hmm. But um, for the most part, you know, you you'd think a movie and and you allude to this in your in your story and in your ranking. But I mean, this is something that has been you know talked about since the original seventy seven Star Wars. You know, when when Luke mm-hmm. Skywalker is talking to Obi Wan, he's like, "You fought in the Clone Wars." I mean, there's this sort of like legend of the Clone Wars, and so it's. It's kind of a shame that it doesn't. It takes a while to um, 
you know, kind of really dive into that. But that's one of the things that's so cool about Clone Wars and all the animated properties is because there is this like fertile ground to dive into it. I love mm-hmm. the way you guys are just trying to move on from Lauren's sexual attraction to animated clone characters, as if I'm <laughs> just going to like let that pass. I'm what about, a great what, what, what about? Okay, so did you hubba hubba Jango Fett in Attack of the Clones? No, not really. No. Really? No, but he's the no. source. That's the pure source. No, I mean it I really know. was just. I mean, and basically your standard clone trooper. I'm like, ah, eh, but it really was no, the haircut, and the haircut can the haircut can make the man, you know. So. Okay, fair fair play mm-hmm. on that one. All right, so, so I'm I'm with Lauren on this one. The haircut's great. <laughs> the haircut rules. <laughs> All right, so Hauser's coming in at at, at fifteen. Uh, not the Doogie version. Um, all right, no. so let's go to number number fourteen. Um. Well, R.I.P. on this one, Lauren. Yeah, so this is someone we just <laughs> recently saw, and um, is, which was Slip, who was hello and goodbye. To, yeah, hello and goodbye. But you know what I thought about Slip, and who we just saw him in the two uh, past two Bad Batch episodes was he was trying to blow the cons- like one of Palpatine's conspiracies that Camino had been destroyed sort of on purpose and the clone the cloning facilities had been destroyed on purpose and i just thought he was like him and also uh his co-whistleblower kate who was we saw really quickly i thought he was really compelling because he's trying to do the right thing and you know he's trying to you know take care of his brothers and basically he pays with it for with his life um because he's you know he's trying to stand up to the empire and he's like one of the early people who is trying to do that so i i just thought he was really compelling, even though we only had a short period of time with him. And he really wasn't interested in doing that at first, but then once they took out his bro, yeah, then like then sort of, was- then it was like, all right, well, if they took out my bro, yeah. then now I'm going to have to do it for him. And then he got taken out. So maybe that yeah, wasn't the pretty best much, decision. you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> what happens, but all right. Yeah. Listen, bummer for him. He's dead, but you know, he, he got him on the list, Lauren. I think all things considered worth list, it. So. I know it might be, so, this might be a controversial, like it's a late edition, but I thought he was compelling. So I added him. No, to. I think it's a good, I, I, I support that edition. Uh, to okay. All right. So this is interesting because we met Slip just recently on the Bad Batch. And the question is, we got a bunch of Bad Batch characters out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, my chocolate is already starting to um, to reform its shape since I took it out of the uh the pocket, so it's in pretty good shape. <laughs> I appreciate so the, by the end of this, you can eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so um, yeah, we got some Bad Batch members, and we got our first one now coming mm-hmm. in at thirteen. And let's see who you got, Lauren. Who's your worst? Who's your least favorite Bad Batch member? You know what? This is the thing: is that he's not my least favorite. I actually, it's Hunter, and I actually like Hunter quite a lot. But it, when you look at him compared to the other Bad Batch members, he's kind of like the steady, reliable dad of the group. Like you know, he's keeping everybody on track, and in, in that he's not as flashy as some of the other ones. He's not like you know as fun as Wrecker is, or as funny as tech can be, or, you know, just as complicated as Crosshair is. So this is where he kind of like, he kind of uh, wound up on the bottom part of the list, but I still do like Hunter a lot, but I just didn't think he was like quite as interesting as some of his compatriots. So that's why. Why are you saying dads are boring? Um, What do you have against dads? I no, I I think good dads are. He's a good dad. He's He's a good good dad. dad and he's reliable. 
He's not as funny as my dad, though. My dad's really funny. So he has, you know, <laughs> and my funny. husband's really funny. So he has like, you know, I, I want my dads to be both reliable and funny. And he's not quite as funny as my dad. So what about like, I don't even know what that is, Lauren. Are those like face tattoos he has or like weird face painting face he tattoos. does? I mean, we've seen the other clones and well, this will come up. Uh, they do get, you know, they do have some, you know, tattoos. I think mostly the thing I, I find funniest about Hunter is he looks a little bit like Rambo because he's got long he hair. He looks a lot like Rambo. So I always just think that's really funny. Uh, well, this funny is a little disappointing though, mm-hmm. Lauren, because no extra points for the hair on Hunter. What's that all about? Yeah, Hunter's haircut, though, I mean, he has an, an enviable, like, you know, uh, shoulder to uh, waist ratio, you know, but haircut wise, it's not doing it. So, you know, I, I'll still give the benefit of the haircut to Hauser. So. I, I, I don't, as far as the bad batch and we'll talk more about as we go along, mm-hmm. as far as I don't, I don't hate you putting Hunter last in that mm-hmm. group. I get it. Um, I, I think he looks pretty interesting. He is reliable, but maybe not super dynamic. I get that. I get everything you're yeah. saying there. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's go to number 12. Who's your 12th uh, favorite clone? Um, my 12th one is Jesse, uh, who was, um, mainly from the Clone Wars. He, uh, served in the 501st Legion, uh, with Captain Rex. Uh, he was kind of a clone that you saw a lot of, uh, but what I found so, and, and he is talking about tattoos. He loved the Republic so much. He got the Republic symbol tattooed on his face and it was on his helmet as well. And what I thought was really fascinating about Jesse is in like the last for uh, the uh, the last uh, season of uh, the Clone Wars, uh, when in the last four episodes, especially right uh, when Order sixty six hits, and there's just mayhem on the ship that they're all on because like Ahsoka's on the ship, Captain Rex is on the ship, Order sixty six happens, all of a sudden everyone's trying to kill Ahsoka. Uh, you know, Rex resists long enough to tell Ahsoka what exactly is happening. But Jesse just all of a sudden is just like trying is like just becomes the enemy and he becomes the enemy to both Ahsoka and to Rex. And it's just amazing to see someone who was like their friend and someone that they fought so much with all of a sudden, just like this, the switch hit. And, you know, it's just like he just, you know, turns. And so it's kind of really sad to watch that last part of the episode because he's like fighting so hard against them. And even when Captain Rex is trying to argue like, you know, she's not even a Jedi anymore. We don't have to kill her. And Jesse's just like, you know, uh, he's like, yes, we do. And, you know, you're being a traitor and I'm going to kill you too. And, you know, and one of the, uh, I think one of the most heartrending shots at the final part of the Clone Wars is when you see like, you know, all of these clone troopers have died after, uh, you know, Ahsoka and Rex have escaped and you see just sort of like the field of their, like and Ahsoka and Rex buried all of them. And you just see this sort of like graveyard of all of their helmets. And Jesse's is one of like the last helmets you see. And you could tell it's Jesse's because he had that special marking on it. So Jesse, I just thought like, you know, I mean, it was just extremely sad what happened to Jesse, but I just like, I, I just thought, you know, he's just one of those ones that, you know, he's one of kind of like a classic clone trooper. Uh, so he made my list. I love his story. Um, mm-hmm. I'm actually surprised he's not higher. Um, yeah. I, I, I agree with everything you said. I mean, especially he was so close with Ahsoka. I mean, you could even go so far as to call Ahsoka Jesse's girl. 
Hey. <laughs> anyone? Anyone? No? Uh, not your best. Rick, <laughs> not your best. Rick Springfield? No? We're not doing we that? We do love Rick Springfield. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that was truly a dad level joke. So, you know, I will call me Hunter. that one to you. Call me Hunter. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, 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 it's a great story and it's a mm-hmm. way to take sort of like not a, you know, a main character, but really turn, make them super interesting and like not every... There's, you know, the, the people on this list are not just because like a bill. It's just like great story, backstory. Yeah. You give this, uh, yeah. I, 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 I think Jesse's a great call. Uh, I'd have him higher. I'd have him even higher. See, the um, one pro- problem I did have is because, you know, obviously we've spent a lot of time with the Bad Batch. So like the members of the Bad Batch were going to be on the list, but I didn't want to like clump them all together. So I had to really consider like who, like, you yeah, know, yeah. I didn't want to just go like, you know, six through this is just all Bad Batch. So I was trying to like incorporate the list a little bit better so you know you know we were seeing some the clones that we knew first versus uh, some of the ones we've been visiting with now and speaking of which your next two are both bad batch members you did put Mm -hmm. them back to back so why don't we talk about them together and why they ended up here and why one is ahead of the other okay so my next one and i know this might be controversial for dalton is crosshair and this was actually kind of a late switch because i had a hunter above crosshair and then i was kind of thinking about crosshair uh and you know his arc and i thought oh crosshair's kind of got a more interesting backstory uh than hunter did mm-hmm. so crosshair sort of wound up here uh and crosshair was one of those ones that i didn't really like the first season but as the second season has gone on i've found him a lot more interesting and i'm very curious to see uh where they take crosshair uh going forward because as we know like crosshair kind of you know when the bad bench went awol crosshair's like no i'm gonna stay with the empire and so you know he's made his choice and you know that choice is getting a lot more complicated for him and then um do you want to mention anything about crosshair and why no, give, he should be give, higher? give us give us number 10 and then i'll tell you why crosshair <laughs> okay, and then and then we've got tech and i love tech tech's really funny um and i joked he uh is a little bit like the cliff clavin of the bad batch and that he just knows so much information and will tell it to you at you know, at even the most inappropriate times, because he'll tell, say something like, you know, our chances of survival are like 0.1, you know, right now. <laughs> well, he's not not great for morale sometimes, but I find it's just like, he's very deadpan. And, you know, and I think sometimes his utter befuddlement with any kind of human emotion is um, very entertaining. But he does, he's like a really great teacher to Omega. And he's, you know, and I really liked over the second season, how, we, how we've seen him trying to make Omega sort of a more full member of the Bad Batch and not just treating her like, you know, this kid over here that we have to protect, but being like, okay, this is the ship and this is what you have to do. And there's a very funny, it hasn't aired yet, but there's a very funny scene coming up in the next couple of uh, episodes about, uh, you know, Omega really testing Tech's ability to teach her something. I, I really like Tech. Uh, so that was, you know, the, that's how they wound up at 11 and 10. So... When you talk about Clone Troop 99, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to include Echo in this for the minute because Echo was not originally a member of Clone Troop 99. And Echo, yeah. uh, we had a long, long story before the Bad Batch started. Yeah. So, if you know, the Bad Batch characters were just considering on the Bad Batch and sort of basically essentially the backdoor pilot that came out of the Clone Wars. Tech and Crosshair are definitely the most interesting characters from this group. Um, when we I disagree with you on Crosshair. I thought Crosshair was really interesting in in season one. Yeah, and the the decisions that he made and the the inhibitor chip and I just you guys know in terms of like the way I love 
just sort of the the sort of very Western type characters, you know, with some of the bounty hunters that I love, like Cad Bane and Boba mm-hmm. Fett, you know, based on basically Clint Eastwood. That's what Crosshair is too, with the you know. And I I um so I thought and I like the way that Crosshair out of I think we've had 10 episodes so far, Bad Batch. Lauren, I think he's only been in like what, two or three? Like yeah. he's really hadn't he been in the season been much, much. Which which I think is good. I think a mm-hmm. little crosshair goes a long way, and I love that, and I love where his head is at. Tech is very interesting too, and tech they've given the most story to this season, probably of any Bad Batch member. Um, we saw uh, we saw that that episode, the one that I watched too early with Omega in the cave, because <laughs> Tech is Tech is basically like Data from Star Trek Next Generation. Yeah, he's basically much. a computer, yeah. even though he's not a computer. He talks and acts like a computer. He's a droid essentially. He has yeah. big C three PO energy. Totally. Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah. Uh, um. Uh. A little less persnickety, but yes, Fair. and, and so. <laughs> And so, you know, they, but they address it and they get into it. And he talks about, oh, I, and I look at everything as a mathematical equation. And I realize that, you know, you need this and you need a, an arm around your shoulder and not just the odds of survival. And, and, and so I honestly, taking Echo out of the conversation, and we, we'll talk about this character when we get to it, I honestly don't know how you could have another Bad Batch character above Tech and Crosshair. Tech, Crosshair, you want to put Tech one above Crosshair? I'm actually okay with that. Mm-hmm. I get it. I wouldn't do it, but I get it. But I don't know how the one you have above them, who basically has had no story at all. Um, but you'll explain when we get there. Um, yes. So uh, Tech and Crosshair have really interesting stuff um, we've seen last season and this one. So uh, love them being on the list. All right. Let's get to number nine. Uh, here okay. we go. This is a fun one. Okay. This is Wolf, head of the Wolf Track Squad. Um, Wolf is one of those, uh, uh, one of the clones, and we've got two more who we saw sort of like the longest storyline with because we saw him in the Clone Wars and he made it all the way through Star Wars Rebels. And so he's one of the ones that we come back to later on in Star Wars Rebels. We find that he and Captain Rex and Gregor have been sort of living in kind of retired seclusion on Celos. Uh, and it's kind of really interesting just to see, uh, you know, him so long and, you know, he's so rapidly aged along with, uh, Rex and Gregor. So it's kind of interesting with, with Wolf just to see what a clone was like, like so long after the war, like what they've been up to, what they've been doing. Um, you know, we do, can ding Wolf because, uh, when he first met the ghost crew, he ran at the mouths of the empire cause he was trying to protect his brothers, but he kind of came around on that. And, you know, uh, he didn't sort of join up with the rebellion as soon as Rex did, but he did kind of come around and he helped with the liberation of Lothal. And, you know, I just always thought like and Wolf was an interesting character on the Clone Wars, but it was always kind of interesting to see uh, him so many years later. And he did not take part of like in Order 66. So he was like one of the few clones along with the Bad Batch members and Rex and Gregor who didn't take uh, didn't take part in Order 66. So I've always just thought like, you know, Wolf was like, you know, he's a he's a soldier. He's been living it. You know, he's been uh, hanging in there for so many years. And so I always just liked Wolf. So. You also just like the one eye thing too, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he his, his eye was taken out by Asajj Ventress. I mean, like this man was a hard ass. Like you know, he survived a duel. He lost an eye, but come on, man, this is uh this is like you know a top top level uh, clone trooper. I think. Yeah. Uh, all right. I like Wolf at nine. Uh, all mm-hmm. right. Here we go. Now let's let's talk right. some more bad know, batch. Here's the one that she has. A this number is eight. controversial. And, and, and this is not just Lauren though. Mm-hmm. I've, I'm going to go back to our Star Wars top 100 characters list. 
Bad Batch had just kind of started when we did this. We said, all right, we got it. You know, we don't want to put too many in here because the show just started. Mm -hmm. We don't want to overreact, but we should get one in here. I, of course, said it should be Crosshair. I was resoundly defeated in that argument. And instead, <laughs> uh, we put in the character that now uh, Lauren has at the top of her we original put Code 99 in, uh, We put in Wrecker, who I just, uh, I just adore Wrecker. He's just, you know, he's a big, brawly brute. He loves to fight, but he's got a really good heart. Like, he, you know, I really like his relationship with Omega. He's not as complicated as Tech or Crosshair or, you know, some of the other uh, Bad Batch members. But, you know, I just enjoy Wrecker. He doesn't like heights, which I find uh, kind of delightful uh, for men of his size. But, you know, he's just, you know, he's just a lot of fun and, you know... He, he just sort of, for me, he always kind of just popped as a character. Uh, I mean, I understand why you perhaps like Crosshair over him, but I don't know. I mean, I know I think me and Nick Romano were the ones that were championing Wrecker out of this. So I stand by my ranking of putting Wrecker I just feel them. like he's low-hanging fruit. And I also mm-hmm. feel like the Afraid of Heights thing is just sort of copying B.A. Baracus from the A-Team, who's like, you ain't get oh. me on that plane, Hannibal. <laughs> you know, like, it's just like you know, the I big only... guy who's like uh-huh. afraid of the stupid thing is like the cop, like, uh, just like, it's just not that original. And I don't like dislike Wrecker. I just mm-hmm. find him not nearly as interesting as some of the other characters. Because he, he, all he does is just, you know bash something and be like, hey, let's go smash some stuff. Hey, hey, hey. You know, I, so do you know. just not it's like the of, Hulk either? Like, I, I feel like Wrecker's a little one note. I, I think that's okay. a fair assessment. If you like that note, I get it. Yeah. But that's all it kind of is. I find that note delightful, so I have no problem with Wrecker. Well, but, you're, not, you know. you're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah. And I think, mm-hmm. it, and I will say this about Wrecker. I'm not trying to diss Wrecker. I think in terms of the context of the group, he works well. You need that guy, right? Yeah. It's so obvious. You have the the tech guy. You have just the leader. You've got the um the one the double agent essentially, and you've got the big brute. It's like it's well, it's like the A team again. It's like it's like yeah. every single group has those archetypes, and that's one of the archetypes. Yeah, I mean, and I also think I liked how you know, as I said, that like you know, Hunter was sort of the dad of the group, and like you know, and I always think of like tech and. Um, uh, Echo and Wrecker working as kind of Omega's older brothers, though she's technically older than them. But like, you know, and then like, you know, Tex, the the one type of brother and, you know, Wrecker's like the big brute football player brother with a good heart, you know, and then we're going to get to Echo. Um, but I just, you know, I kind of, always, I, I liked the archetype and I really do enjoy his uh, relationship with Omega and how they're just very kid-like and going out and searching for for treasures and all sorts of stuff like that. So I still Wrecker, even though I I knew this would be a controversial ranking for you, <laughs> and you did it anyway. Just to, I did just it to anyway. Get me all angry all over again. Yeah, Stop, your bullying anyway. tactics will not work here. <laughs> Apparently no, not. No, I'm a contrarian through and through. So yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, let's go. Uh, let's go to number seven. Who do we got? Okay, we've got Gregor, uh, and Gregor has. Really, truly, when I was going back and looking back over Wrecker's, uh, not Wrecker's, uh, Gregor's history, and he has a bananas backstory, because, uh, you know, he's, he's a clone trooper, lost his uh, lost his memories for a long time, was working as a dishwasher, because uh, someone took advantage of him, got his memories back, became a trooper again, had a brain injury, you know, uh, you know, and he, so he's not 
quite all there, but he does kind of also uh, last into the time of Star Wars Rebels. Uh, and he's a little wacky, um, but, you know, he's, he's real, you know, but he's like very, very brave. Uh, and he did pop up in the Bad Batch when he kind of was also deciding, I do not want to be part of this Imperial thing at all. Um, so Gregor, I always just found sort of a super fascinating character just because he has such a wild history to him. Is there any medical condition that is shown in pop culture, like TV and movies more unproportionally to actually happening in real life <laughs> than amnesia. amnesia? Oh my God. I feel like amnesia. I do, I do like actually know obsessed. someone, someone in my family actually did experience amnesia, but they, Stop it, it. It, like wow. it did. It seriously. And we were like, what the heck is going on? This is like not a real thing, but like after That's a couple of days, they were fine. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, this is really when it, you, someone suffers from amnesia, it is such a soap opera plot, but it was, you know, but you know, he, he suffered a pretty traumatic uh, uh, crash. So I just thought that this was kind of a, a nice way to turn that uh, trope on its head. Um, but I mean, it does show, you do see in like later Star Wars Rebels, like those knocks on the head did take their effect on him. You know, he's not he's not coy all there later on. He's he's a little wild, well, after, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, yeah. you know, but he also he dies very nobly. And I just realized I am spoiling the hell out of all of these shows. Well, for people. I don't think people I don't think people, you know, are listening to a clone ranking unless they have watched this stuff. But um, I would he, think so. But yeah, he's yeah. super fun when he shows up again in Rebels, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, when, when they're all older and out of shape and, and uh, stuff. He's he's super fun and uh a little bit kooky there. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Um, let's go to uh, number six. Big one here. And as yeah. we're closing on the top five. Okay, this is the big one. This is Echo, who technically is, was a Bad Batch member, but he started as a reg. Echo, also like Gregor, has a wild backstory. Uh, he was long thought dead. Uh, they, uh, You know, uh, his his uh, troopers thought he, his fellow troopers thought he had died, but it turns out he had been uh, captured and turned into a cyborg. And it wasn't until the seventh season of Clone Wars that Rex sort of realized that, uh, that someone was using some of the battle plans that he had once done with, uh, with Echo. And then he discovered that Echo was alive and uh, Echo was, saved by him and uh, the Bad Batch. Um, But after what he had been through, and, you know, he had been through it, he was, like, basically a shell of himself. He didn't feel quite so... He he didn't feel comfortable with the regs anymore, so that's why he joined the Bad Batch. Um, But I think you saw and you've seen over the course of this season that, you know, his heart is still with his, his brothers, like the regs. And he, you know, I think you could really just see his like sort of crisis of conscience this season, uh, about, you know, knowing that he needed to help his fellow troopers out. And so I just have always liked Echo. And so this is why he wound up at number six. Yeah. It's it, great episodes of the clone mm-hmm. wars, um, where, uh, they, they find him and, and save him. Cause he's like, what it was like, Lauren, he's like plugged into like some sort of super computer. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, you know and enemy, he's, yeah. he's like lost his arms and he's like barely, yeah. he's like barely alive, but they're basically just, you know, using him, uh, for his knowledge to fight against the clone troopers. And so, I mean, it's just kind of like, it's a, it's a crazy plot line, but you know, and, and when echo, they thought echo died, that was like a very moving episode of the clone wars. Uh, so it's kind of like, you know, coming back to it, you know, and discovering he's alive after all those years was, you know, 
kind of well, it was a little interesting because the one thing I did always think when when he was part of the Bad Batch, there was a little redundancy with him and Tech. Right, yeah, like Echo yeah, could plug bit. into things, but Tech could also go and plug into things. Yeah, like, like I always kind of felt like Tech was, uh, Echo was like halfway between Tech and Hunter. Like you know, he was yeah. a little bit more, you know, because like you know, Hunter's kind of closer to the regs, and you know, outside of his hunting ability, and the other, the other guys. So it's sort of like I always felt Echo was kind of like right between the between the two of them. So, but you know, yeah, it was a little, like a little bit of no man's land. Yeah, yeah. but. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens to him because, like you said, he's now wants to go do more to fight the Empire and wants to help his clone brothers. But guess what? His clone brothers at this point, um, well, we'll see for how long. But we've been fighting yeah. for the Empire. But now with the whole new, uh, you know, act to get stormtroopers in and clone troopers out, we'll see how it all works out. Oh my God! Yeah, we are now into Lauren's top five clone troopers <laughs> ever. Uh, very exciting stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see who's at number five. Who do we got? Uh, number five, I've got Commander Cody. Yes, he did try and uh, kill Obi-Wan, but he feels really bad about that now. Uh, Cody is, you know, obviously we've seen Cody, you know, he made his debut in Attack of the Clones. He made his debut before Captain Rex showed up. Um, he's probably, you know, one of the the first well-known clones. He was sort of second in command to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, but he was kind of the one who really was the sort of the plot device in uh, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith because, you know, he was the person who, when Order 66 came down, tried to call Obi-Wan Kenobi. And, you know, luckily Obi-Wan was just a little bit better than uh, than uh, Cody was at the time. During the Clone Wars, like, he was, you know, always there, always, like, right uh, next to Obi-Wan, always like very supportive, always had his back. So like seeing that betrayal, it's like it comes back to like sort of Jesse as well, where it's like sort of like Cody's become emblematic of like what the real tragedy of the clone troopers were was that they had no choice in this and that, you know, it didn't matter how loyal they felt or, you know, their personal feelings towards the Jedis that they were fighting with. This order came down and they were, you know, they wound up, you know, killing all of these Jedis that were, they had been battling with for years. So, you know, I was just thought like, and I thought the episode where we returned to Cody this season was like a great episode and really examined a lot of like sort of stuff about uh, what soldiers deal with um, post battle and that kind of stuff. So that's why Cody wound up at number five. You know, what's Devin, you know, what's interesting to me about revenge of the Sith when, Palpatine calls in Order 66. You ever notice how anytime you watch any movie or TV show and there's someone who has some sort of like deeply implanted thing where someone just says like the, you know, the rooster crows and all of a sudden right. like they, they twitch and their whole body, their eyes go wide <laughs> or get dilated. Of it all. And, and yeah, and all of a sudden they're like, mm, and like, right. That doesn't happen in Revenge of the Sith. They're just like, execute Order 66. He's like, no problem. And they're yep. just like, okay, right. like, go get him. All of them are just like, yep, yep, sounds good. Like, there's yeah. no just like like weird physical second or just like moment where like the, the brain takes a second to compute it. It's just like, okay, yeah, yeah. Order 66, sounds good. Fire. Like, it's just- Right, so it's weird. crazy. And I- um. I have a soft spot for Commander Cody. I like, I don't know. I, I, my, my brother was like obsessed with him, like when Attack of the Clones <laughs> came out and just like, I don't know. I feel like we had him as a Lego or something. And, and I've loved like, you know, watching his story, you know, get a little bit more, um, fleshed out, you know, in Clone Wars. And, and yeah, I, I mean, I have, I have a soft spot for, for Commander Cody. And I think it really gets at the, you know, it's the only time the, the live action films kind of like get at the tragedy of the clones, right? Like the, the, this, you know, we we see him 
fighting alongside Obi-Wan Kenobi as, as basically brothers, which is something we see even more in, in Clone Wars. And to see it, you know, it's 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 the real heartbreaking moment of of you know of Revenge of the Sith. And and I don't know. I have a soft spot for Cody. But I, well, I totally agree with you, Dalton. It is kind of weird that they're just like, uh-huh. Yep. Sure. So, like, no it's like they're like, you know, like, can I have fries with that? Like, sure. Yep. <laughs> All good. I mean, to, to people that have, and this is the majority of Star Wars fans that have just watched the movies, he's the most famous clone. Yeah. I would say so. Yeah, yes. definitely. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting. All right. So he comes in at nine, yet he's only number n- number five here. Yeah. Four people above Commander Cody. All right. Who do we got a four, Lauren? I have 99, who uh, technically, I guess technically wasn't a clone trooper. He was a clone that the cloning process did not really quite work right with. Uh, so he was uh, he was too rapidly aging and too weak to be a clone trooper. But he was on the facilities of Camino. He's working as a janitor, but he really did, no matter that his, you know, as I said in my, in my uh article he didn't have the body of a clone trooper but he had the heart of one and he was really like i i thought the stuff with him was just really moving because he really helped like domino squad sort of unify since they were having problems you know he defended topoka city from attack you know he's just like one of those people where it was just sort of like i i just thought he was sort of one of the most moving uh clone stories that they did where it was someone who you know like all of these clones you know they kind of came off a conveyor belt they all sort of physically the same but he wasn't, but he still sort of had the heart of a of a soldier, um, even if he didn't have the body of one. Yeah, I think it's interesting to explore. This is, you know, science doing all this cloning mm-hmm. and like science doesn't always work uh, in, in these instances. And like, here's like, you know, I don't know if that has the, like this is to do with like the jar of Snoke's. You know, like Rise of Skywalker, (laughs) like, uh, but you know what I mean? Like sometimes there's some, um, you know, uh, some extra Snokes lying around and that's, I guess, what 99 was. The Jar of Snokes was why it was clone troopers, because if it was clones, although they would have been, they would have been way off the list anyway, you know, so. Yeah, I know. But I think Hmm. it's great. I I love, I love that being in the top five, because Super interesting uh, character, uh, even if it's not one that we you know saw a lot of. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely felt a lot watching watching him. All right, so you got a combo platter. I got a combo platter here. here. On two and three. These yeah. so these are sort of a leading up to number one. What yeah, for for a while I had these two separated, but their story is so sort of tied into one another that I, I at a certain point I was like I, sh- I really should join these two get together. So it's fives and tups. Uh, anyone who's watched the Clone Wars knows uh, how important these two were to the fact that the 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 Order sixty six inhibitor chip conspiracy was almost discovered, but was not. Um, Top uh, accidentally his inhibitor chip was faulty, and he killed a Jedi that he was fighting with uh, way before the order was given. Uh, so uh, he killed a Jedi, and then there's like a whole conspiracy that sort of starts to unravel. And Fives is the one who really is trying to figure out what is going on, you know. And he basically sort of discovers about the inhibitor chips that there, that that there's a purpose for these, uh, and he's trying to blow the whistle on it. But even like Palpatine finds out and basically, you know, puts the kibosh on it. And but the thing is, Fives basically uh, communicates this information to Captain Rex. Uh, Captain Rex isn't aware of the entire conspiracy, but he knows that there is something uh, going on. And that this is that this information is what 
pre- uh, what prevents Captain Rex from killing Ahsoka because like right at that moment when Order 66 is given, you can see it and it, it's a very effective shot where it's like just Rex just goes fives, fives, and that's enough information. He gives it to Ahsoka. Ahsoka escapes uh, from getting killed by him, but then she discovers the entire conspiracy because there's, you know, like she discovers uh, what happened to fives and sort of this stuff. So I think like fives and Tup are two of like the most important clones because they, they almost revealed, you know, they almost stopped order 66 in its track. And it's always just kind of like just a complete, you know, I mean, it's sort of the tragedy that that they weren't able to do it. And, you know, obviously like even Anakin, uh, they were telling Anakin about it and Anakin just thought, you know, that fives was being crazy though. I mean, honestly, you know, I'm not sure Anakin is the best person to tell this thing to anyway. Uh, <laughs> four fives. It's, so, it's a lot, a whole lot of coulda, shoulda, woulda, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I yeah, find Anakin's it, judgment isn't always the yeah, best. You know, at, but, at this point, Anakin's judgment was a little bit off. So, you know, I'm not sure if it, if it wound up in the right Jedi's hands, but you know, uh, I just realized it's weird. You just mentioned Captain Rex and he's nowhere on your list. I'm actually surprised he didn't make your top 15, uh, Lauren, <laughs> knowing what a, what a fan you are of Captain Rex. Uh, but yes. anyway, what is your number one now that we're... Uh... The, my number one is the only number one it could be. It's Captain Rex, obviously. Um, <laughs> Can I just say, before, before you go on, Devin, uh, yeah. I asked Lauren to do this list. I'm like, yeah, Lauren loves the clones. This will be fun. Mm. She can give us her list. So she turned it in. I was going to edit it. I almost just to mess with her. I was like, going to say like, you know, I think it's just too obvious putting Rex at number one. We should probably <laughs> move him out of the top just to see how she would react, but I didn't do it. I uh, was like, no, no. I think I even said when we were first discussing it, I was like, well, Captain Rex is number one. So obviously. that was like, the, that was the easiest thing. I was like, one, Captain Rex. <laughs> and then I was like, everybody else kind of moved around a little bit, but Rex was always number one. But, you know, I love Rex. Um, he is honestly, outside of even a clone trooper, he's probably one of my current favorite Star Wars characters. It's like Ahsoka, Captain Rex, and Grogu. Those are my top three right now. So I love Captain Rex. Um, you know, he's just, uh, he's kind of like the ultimate clone. Like, it's funny because Cody was the first one we saw. But Captain Rex was just like, you know, he was kind of the right hand of Anakin and Ahsoka, you know, and when uh, Ahsoka started, she was just a Padawan, but he never, he always treated her with respect. And, you know, he helped her become kind of the warrior that she did. I mean, his, his training was sort of just as much, just as important as Anakin's was in, you know, in, in terms of Ahsoka's growth as a warrior, you know, he always knows the right thing to do and he does it. And he's, you know, I mean, he, in some respects, he and Hunter are a lot alike. He's reliable, steady. If you're going into a battle, you want Rex at your side. Um, but, you know, I just I always just love Captain Rex. And so, you know, there's just I mean, honestly, my entry would just be hard eyes if I didn't have to actually write something for this. So and I love and that, Rex. The, mm-hmm. the, by the way, <laughs> Lauren just said a version of either I love Rex or I love Captain Rex like 18 times. Yeah, in her yeah description. I do. If, if Sammy Hudio is not making a super cut of that, I don't know what we're even doing on this podcast. I mean, I've, that was incredible. I've said that multiple times on across the podcast. So you could probably just edit together a good like 10 minutes of me just saying how much. I, I mean, I've even, I even told D Bradley Baker how much I loved Captain Rex. So, you know, <laughs> people know I love Rex. That's just that's my thing. So I should get a bumper sticker. You should. Uh, it just mm-hmm. says, I heart Captain Rex. Yeah, that's pretty right. much. Yeah. Well, we got to see more of that Rex-Ahsoka bond in um, Tales of the Jedi, too, mm-hmm. with the, the training episode. 
I want to say episode was like six minutes long. Yeah, it wasn't um, that long. <laughs> it's not a huge installment. Yet, perhaps. Yeah, yes. it's not like a double sided DVD. You don't need mm-hmm. to turn it over. Uh, but he, uh, you know, he basically gives her the training that will later save her life. Um, so uh, really, really great stuff. I, of course, he was going to be number one. He is the most prominent and famous famous clone uh in the universe mm-hmm. if you're watching all the entries in the universe so in his rightful place atop your list i feel like i was pretty generous yeah with your list. i was I, just gonna say you didn't you didn't yell at me as much no, as i thought you know because no, i wish you'd no. be like this is why you're wrong you know i mean <laughs> no but. i thought it was really good i thought i thought you know like the bad batch i have some qualms and with mainly records too high but that's you know that's fine mm-hmm. um i think it's a, gr- a great list i mean listen here's what i'm gonna say lauren when it comes to ranking clone troopers, Lauren Morgan <laughs> is the authority. Like I don't know I who else. Say, yeah, like is gonna I, do that. Th- I mean, like maybe D. Bradley Baker. Yeah, might, I was just might, saying you he know, probably be- would. You know, <laughs> but like second would, to that, like yeah, I would trust him over me. But you know, but uh, I don't know. I think he might agree with you on on a lot of these. I, I think this I, is a pretty unimpeachable. He, he did list. tell me that he liked cl- a crosshair the most out of the Bad Batchers this season hey, when he was doing it. So, hey, you know, here we I, go. I, I was We're thinking about that and i was just like you know i, I do think that's why Damn i switched uh, crosshair and hunter at a certain point i was like oh he badly baker likes him better than you know uh, he's he's that's great um yes. it, listen you don't just have to hear lauren talking about her list you can read her list up on ew.com we have it there uh the full ranking and extra thoughts from her about why every clone ended up uh in every single place um we're about to get to our interview, but uh just want to remind everyone, um, um, coming up on The Mandalorian, right? Like mm-hmm. next week, next week's episode. So we are going to be recapping The Mandalorian every week. We have some interviews with cast members and producers coming your way. So um, it's been fun to do these sort of deep dives in between shows, but we're going to get back to it next week. And, and Devin's already smiling. Yeah, I'm 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 psyched. I'm I'm ready for Mando to come back. I I, I missed having a little. I'm just looking forward to all of the Grogu gifs that we're gonna yeah, get yeah. in the next couple of weeks. Like you know, there's gonna be like I don't know, like Grogu eats a sandwich, and it's the new meme for the rest <laughs> of the year. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just it's 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 gonna happen. I'm excited. I don't for think this anything's to... gonna top of him just eating a macaron for some reason. I didn't know they existed in the galaxy Classic. until he started eating them, and then they were sold by Williams and Sonoma. So. You know, no, more I mean, look, I'm we sure got the, um, we got Cyril Karn's cereal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we yeah. got Baby Grogu's uh, macarons. We get the blue milk. I mean, you could run a whole intergalactic grocery store. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, props to Devin Kogan for going with Jif instead of GIF pronunciation. Oh, Very I'm controversial. Team, I'm Team Jif. I've always been Team Jif. Uh, <laughs> that's what the that's what the designers who created it it's said. True. Yeah, I'm that's team, true. I'm Team GIF because back when I learned how to make them in like the late 1990s, my teacher said GIF, and I was just like, "Well, she said GIF, so that you know." So I'm stuck with GIF because Jif is a peanut uh, butter. Yeah, it Jeff is a peanut butter. Um, all right. So look, uh, we have those uh, recaps and interviews coming for you starting next week. And as far as this week, we may be done talking about clones, but we are not done talking about Star Wars. Laura and I sat down with Lydia Kang, the author of the upcoming High Republic book, Star Wars colon Cataclysm, which comes out April 4th. We have an exclusive excerpt from that book coming out on EW.com. And we have a very cool conversation with Lydia coming up right after this quick break. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. All right, we are now joined by the author of Star Wars Cataclysm. I love that name. I just love saying Cataclysm. Uh, <laughs> comes out April 4th from Random House of Worlds. Uh, Lydia Kang is joining us now. Dr. Lydia Kang. How's it going, Lydia? It is going great. Thanks so much for having me today. We're, we're excited to have you. So how does a doctor in Omaha end up writing a Star Wars book? <laughs> um, it's a little bit of a mystery to me, <laughs> to be honest. Um <laughs> I have been, um, I've been a physician for, I guess, around 22 years now. And I started writing really intensely about 12 years ago. Um, and I started out writing young adult science fiction. And for some reason, don't know how uh, this happened, but about four or five years ago, I got asked to write a short story for the Empire Strikes Back from a certain point of view anthology. So that was fantastic because I got to dip my toe in the Star Wars universe. And um, it was uh, about a couple of years after that, um, that I got asked to write Cataclysm. So yeah, I'm not exactly sure how it happened. It's kind of magical to me, but here I am and I did it. <laughs> were, were you a Star Wars fan growing up or did you have to sort of educate yourself on this world as you started like writing, writing about it? So I have been a Star Wars fan like my whole life, but um I think there are different degrees of Star Wars fandom. And I, I wasn't somebody who read extensively um, in the Star Wars universe, like, you know, reading a lot of um, the novels and things like that. But I was just very much in love with all the the movies that came out. And so I, yeah, I mean, I've, I've loved Star Wars has been sort of part of my life and um, little ways since I was a kid when I saw um, the very, very first movie in 1977. I was six years old then. So we are, we are the same age, ago. Lydia. We are the exact same age. <laughs> I, I was in my mother's stomach when she saw A New Hope. So I was around, but not. I you were around. Fit. Yeah, you I saw, don't quite remember it. Yeah. Saw it through osmosis. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So, sorry. So, right, so I, I'm fascinated to chat with you because. I want to find out, I want you to explain to me how the writing process on a book in the Star Wars High Republic series works, because you can't just go off and create your own story willy nilly and do whatever you want, because all these novels and YA books and junior high books and comics are all linked. So how how does it start? Like for Cataclysm, were you provided an outline of where the story starts, where it needs to end and certain things that have to happen in between? Just take me through the whole process. So it it's really like um, a very multi-layer 
endeavor. Um, I, I came in knowing that I was going to be writing the sequel to one of the two adult novels. And the first one is Convergence by Zoraida Cordova, who I knew in the young adult writing world. And I knew um, one of um, a couple of the um, uh, the story architects of the High Republic. So like I knew um, of Justina Ireland and, and some of these other guys. But um, but coming in, I, I sort of knew already where I was landing, like I was going to be writing a sequel. Um, but there wasn't, it wasn't like um, they handed me this outline and they said, here's what you will write and you must stick to all of these beats. And like these, it, like I had an enormous amount of um, freedom in creating my stories and creating characters and deciding which characters I wanted in there. Um, you know, we have um, access to information about everything that's going on in the High Republic. So all the different phases and it's a lot of stuff, you know, there is so much world building going into it. And um, so, yeah, I had access to that. I, let's just say there was a lot of studying happening on my part <laughs> to make sure that I knew where I was going to be doing um, this story, who was going to be in it, who I was allowed to bring into it, who I wasn't allowed to bring into it. Um, but I had actually quite a bit of, of freedom and um and so from there, I just, I sort of took, um, I took off from where Zoraida had finished Convergence, where I knew roughly where Convergence was going to end. And then there's a, there's the um, audio book by George Mann that happens in between the Battle of Jeddah. And so right. I had to take into account, mm -hmm. like, you know, the events of that. So after I knew what was going to happen in the two books, I, I sort of settled down and decided, all right, these are the things that I would love to have happen. But um, there were only... Uh, a handful of story beats that I knew Lucasfilm publishing was like, they're like, we need these things to happen. Um, but a lot of it was sort of like, this is going to be epic. Lydia, go make this epic. <laughs> that was kind of, that's kind of um, where I went with it. And it was, um, so it was really challenging. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of um, talking back and forth with a lot of the other authors, um, with Mike Siglane and uh, uh, many other um, people in in the the sort of Lucasfilm world that was helping make this happen. So, and it's because these these books, you know, come out so quickly, like they're almost right on top of each other mm -hmm. every few months. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming you're not reading a full version of Convergence and you're not listening to the audio drama, reading this full script of the, the Battle of Jeddah yet, right? Are you just getting sort of outlines in terms of here's where this is going and starting? What are you getting in terms of from those other projects to help inform what you write? So we get um, whatever is the most current version we have access to. Um, but more importantly, we have access to each other. And so Zoraida and George and Kevin Scott and all these other people who are writing stuff that is relevant to my book, but because um, Kevin Scott's um, book, um, uh, Path of Vengeance, happens simultaneously with um, the, uh, the details of Cataclysm. But they're happening in a slightly different place and with way, way different characters. But our stuff has to mesh. So there was a lot. We have like a Slack channel. And so on the Slack channel, we're just, I'm just sort of like, Kevin, I need to know if you're doing X, Y, and Z. And he was just like, oh my God, I'm doing X, Y, and Z, but you can't do like A and B and C. It's just, so there, there's some chaos going on, but it's like, it's really fun chaos because we get to find out um, all the things. It's, a, it's constantly a moving um, object basically you're you're sort of like riding this like train that's going very fast and you're looking over at like a truck that's 
driving at the same <laughs> speed, but it slows down and then it speeds ahead and you're like yelling at each other. So it kind of feels like there's a little bit of that chaos, but it's also kind of fun because as you are writing, these other things are being created, you know, not exactly at the same time, but, um, but you, it, it absolutely keeps you on your toes. Like you sort of have to make sure that you are getting everything sort of in play at the right time. And I know, you know, Lauren's going to, I know Lauren's going to ask you about uh, some of the sort of characters that we may know mm-hmm. from the Star Wars universe that maybe is going to show up here as we get into the specifics. But like whether you're dealing with new kind of new characters, like new High Republic characters or characters that we've seen in this universe before, everything you do now is your establishing canon. Is that sort of weird to think about that? Like, oh my God, like, and 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 what sort of processes do you have to go through in terms of like, hey, can I take this character and do this? Or is it okay if this character has this Jedi power that hasn't really been explored in, in other, like, what's that whole thing like? Yeah, so that absolutely happens in that I will decide, I would write things like, oh, I think I want this character to be in there. And, and then, um, you know, I have, I'm working with a, a team of people um, I'm doing all the writing, but every time I sort of like go through a, a, a phase, like I have an outline done or I have a rough draft done, it sort of like, you know, gets read by a lot of different eyes. And some people will be like, some people who know the Star Wars universe, obviously way better than I do, because like I said, I am a fan, but I'm not like, you know, a, a level 99%. Like I've read. You have a day job. Mm-hmm. You're a doctor. You're <laughs> you saving do lives. You can say it, I like Lydia. to say that's my excuse. So, um, so yeah, they'll sort of be like, this is not really a Jedi power. You can't do that. And I'll be like, darn it. Or they will say, <laughs> why not? Um, no. yeah, because there, you know, there are rules to be followed. That's just mm-hmm. sort of how any um, creative universe happens. And, and I have to subject myself to those rules, but sometimes I don't always know them. And so, you know, there would be like little things like, um, like when you say the Jedi temple on Coruscant, like that's capitalized. And I didn't know, that and so that would be like corrected. And they're like, if you're talking about a Jedi temple anywhere else, the temple is lowercase. But if it's a Jedi temple on Coruscant, it's capital <laughs> T. And I was like, okay, I will remember oh, that. But I would I forget that. other things too. Like I'm supposed to be using the metric system. And so it was a lot of education for me, just a huge steep learning curve. And I got things wrong all the time. But they're they're so wonderful and and generous and and nice. Like the people that I have been working with, everybody in in this endeavor is like amazing. They're, they're very kind and they correct you nicely. <laughs> like, um, and they sort of get like, you know, everybody comes in at sort of a different place as far as like how well they know the rules of the universe. And I was like low on that scale. Um, so yeah, a lot of learning, but at the same time, every time I would get corrected by something, I'd get really excited. I would sort of fangirl about like, I have to do it this way. This is so cool. So it, it was never unpleasant. It was always like really, really fun. Well, let me tell you about my co-host Lauren Morgan here for a second. Lauren likes the bad boy. All right. She likes herself a bad boy. I'm convinced she might have a little crush on Axel Greylark. She's going to deny it. Well, but I'm guess- I'm guessing she may, but she- I'm sure she wants to know everything that's happening with these characters, or at least what uh, <laughs> what you want to tease about them in this book, right, Lauren? Oh yeah, yeah. So um, it did really seem like you're combining like a lot of what like you know even Path of Deceit versus uh you know Convergence, and then you have to incorporate the Battle of Jeddah. But you know, obviously, we see the the four main characters from Convergence. How where do we find them when we sort of start the story? Not to get too spoilery, but how are like Ziri and Fantu adjusting to marriage? I mean, and we will get into Axel and Gela as well. But 
Sure. So um, I I kind of thought about, well, you know, where would um, a young married couple be a couple weeks after the fact when things maybe aren't going so well between their homelands that, you know, were in this, um, you know, ceasefire for a while, but um, not too big of a spoiler to say that like things start to really bubble up and get bad between Iram and Arano at the beginning of Cataclysm. And so I figured, you know, they um, they haven't figured a lot of things out in their relationship. I mean, they kind of were thrown together, fell in love very, very fast. And that love, though, is strong. It hasn't been able to struggle against certain types of relationship issues that might come up. And so I, I did play around with that a little bit. Um, and some of the things that they deal with are really basic relationship issues, but in the setting of the Star Wars universe, they have a completely different, like they they have so much more consequences, you know, communication yes. problems, or if we're a reunited front, we have to make all our decisions. We have to agree on everything. And everybody knows that in any kind of relationship, you can't always agree on everything. You have to figure out how to make it work. And so it's like, it's political, it's personal. So it gets pretty complicated. And I wanted to, um, I wanted to really delve into that between those two. Yeah, it's it's really not like they're just arguing who's loading the dishwasher wrong, which, you know, <laughs> then, <laughs> no. they have, then they have a, they're dealing with a lot more consequence uh, to what they're dealing with. You know, Axel and Gala's relationship in Convergence, I thought was really uh, interesting just because of that kind of dynamic that they had. How did you decide to approach that here? And, you know, like, do we find resolution for these two? Like, you know, uh, how did you sort of like, and I know you must have been talking to Zoraida a lot about about this. Yeah, I had to. Um, yeah, and I had to sort of wait to see exactly how Convergence ended. Um, because, uh I, I needed to sort of take the tone of what their relationship was like at the end of the book and, and move on from there. And, you know, seeing what happened with them in those two books, like they had this really interesting bond with each other. They were like, they would bicker, but they were friendly. And there was like, you know, there was a little bit of this sort of attraction, but it wasn't overtly romantic or anything like that. And, um, and there is this huge, you know, loss of trust that happens at the end of, of uh, convergence. And, what do you do when that trust is broken and um, and yet you still need to work with this person because of trying to figure out like, well, do they know something? Is there more mm-hmm. going to happen? That sort of thing. And so it's, it's, a, it's kind of um, what you do when trust is broken, what you do when you try to build it again. Um, and how many times can you trust somebody when they break your your heart, you know, your friendship heart over and over and over again. Right. And so I, you know, we put sort of put Gela through the ringer. We put Axel through the ringer as well, but they both have to come out at the end of the book feeling like, um, you know, the, these decisions that I made, did I, did I make the right ones? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and there has to be, I was really hoping and pulling for these two to come out in a positive place, but they, um, my gosh, I, I just feel like they, they go through so much in the process and it's it's really not fun <laughs> for them in, yeah. in a lot of ways. But it's the Star Wars universe, so nothing is going to be easy, right? That's true. And then just talking about that testing of trust, I mean, we get a lot of Chancellor Greylark 
and her relationship to Axel and, you know, how much disappointment is in between the two of them and like that mother son thing. So you talk a little bit more about bringing Chancellor Greyluck and the decision she makes, you know, because she like there's one thing she does that is really kind of the surprise turn in the novel that you didn't yeah. think she'd ever do. And I, I thought that was pretty fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I, I had so much fun writing her character. She, um, she, uh, I feel like I know her because we are kind of like the same age-ish and um, have kids that are sort of the same age-ish. And, um, and, I, and I knew she struggled with the having to hold on her shoulders, like this very weighty position of being one of the chancellors of this Republic that is rapidly expanding. Right. Mm -hmm. And she's so careful and she's so calculated about everything she does. I mean, like down to these like, you know, intricate outfits that she's wearing where she'll be wearing pearls of Iram in her headdress, but then there'll be stones from Arano and like woven into her you know, things like that, those little touches, like she's just all about control. And Axel's like the opposite of that. Axel's chaos, right? Mm -hmm. You know, he's just constantly doing these things that are just, just making these choices that just make her, you know, sort of want her to bang her head against the wall. Um, but at the core of it is this relationship, this mother-son relationship. And they get complicated because children grow up and become adults and make their decisions. And sometimes they make bad decisions. And it's very easy, I think, for parents to get defensive, but it's also a, a lot harder. And I sort of put Kyung through this of looking and being like, what have I really done the best that I could? And like, what, what mistakes have I made? And so there's a lot of reflection, I think, in that relationship that happens in the book. So when that pivot happens and there is that big decision that happens from Kyung, um, it makes a lot of sense, but it's it's shocking and on mm -hmm. a lot of levels, right? Because mm -hmm. sometimes you think that you're living your life a certain way and then you realize maybe you haven't been living it the right way. So um, I really enjoyed writing her character. Her character wrote itself. Like for some reason, when I put hand to keyboard, I just immediately knew what kind of person she was. I knew what decision she was going to make. Um, she is a tough, tough person. And I would not want to be in a room alone with her when she's mad <laughs> um but yeah we see that happen many times in mm -hmm. the book so yeah that's one of the most shocking things to me about this era of the high republic is just the entire two chancellor thing i'm like that seems like a terrible idea yeah that seems especially, especially when you're having all of these problems with the communication boys and everything yeah. like that and you're just like how do these people work together when you can't even communicate with each other i know and that was one of the things that they were sort of like i didn't make that up they were sort of like okay they're going to be these two chancellors mm -hmm. and you know when we get to the high republic you know the first phase we've got um chancellor lena so and she's sort of like you know on top of everything and 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 it, it does sort of make you wonder, like, well, was there always one chancellor? And if there were two, what would it be like? And what would the problems be like? And I got to really sit down with that and think and um, and make Chancellor Malo and Chancellor Greylark fairly different in certain ways. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, you know, it's convenient in some ways. Like Chancellor Greylark is the one that likes to hang out in Coruscant and do all the really difficult negotiations and Malo likes to be out in the outer rim. He likes to get his boots, his, his boots dirty and he likes to sort of like, you know, get in the trenches with the people and get to know them and, and start making relationships there. Um, so it, it just, uh, somehow it worked until it, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> One thing though, that I uh, really enjoyed in the novel is uh, Yaddle 
and we get to see Yaddle in action. And I really enjoyed the whole interaction between her and her Padawan who was driving her nuts. And that was just like, I, I would I would read a whole entire series of these two just creating Hell chaos yeah. in the galaxy. So how did, how did, uh, did you get to choose Yaddle coming in on this one? Because we don't get to see her all that often. No, you don't. It was really funny because I was looking through all the material for like, you know, phase, uh, phase two. And I was like, you know, just uh, like, I'm a preparer. I guess this mm-hmm. is maybe what got me through like um, medical school and stuff like that. But I like make lists and like, I'm like, highlighting all over the place and there's like a single like question mark like yaddle like and i was sort of like well, does that mean i could i can grab yaddle and like do something with yaddle so i just like i didn't wait for a nudge or anything i was just sort of like putting yaddle in cataclysm and so i i just did it and then um and i put and i was like well i knew that yaddle has this history of being a great teacher especially mm-hmm. with the younglings and so i thought i would love to have a youngling in the story um, to play off of, you know, Yaddle's wisdom. And when I first wrote the story and I had the outline, I think one of some of the first comments I got back were more Yaddle, more Yaddle. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had made her not a main character. I had made, made her a very, um, very peripheral character. And she popped in here and there and sort of showed up in the end. And they were just like, no, no, no. We want her like throughout the story. Oh. So um, that just made me feel great because I thought, oh, I'm doing something right, and I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with this and sort of see what kind of challenges I can put Yaddle through, see what kind of challenges this, this, um, you know, this youngling uh, Sipatarko is going to be going through, and and them together, and um, and you know, it's it's a little difficult because there's there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of violence that happens, and I do have a youngling there, and there's there's that. There was a lot of worry and concern about, well, is that the right thing to do? And how are we going to handle that? And I, my, my sort of perspective on it was that, you know, in all the violence that happens in the world that we live in, children are never shielded from it. They're, they're mm-hmm. there. And so um, I didn't want to make it sort of gratuitous, and, but I also wanted them to realize that sometimes things get messy and children get involved. And and we have people like Yaddle who are, you know, shepherding the way and trying to do their best and, and protecting and that sort of thing. And I wanted to, to highlight that. But it was really wonderful being able to bring Yaddle in and to, to write her. And, you know, she's a little, she's a little funny at times. She, she is really, really wise at the same time. Um, so she's just fantastic. We we've been on a Yaddle roller coaster here for yeah. the past six months. I mean, we we're all excited when Yaddle showed up in Tales of the Jedi, the animated <laughs> show. We're like, oh, some Yaddle, and then like four minutes later, Yaddle's dead. We're like, wait a minute, <laughs> we can't can't do that. Like, and so it's it's nice to so, so it's good to see her like you know so yeah. much so much farther back when you know her, you know her death is very far off. But I did enjoy her just sort of um, just exasperation with Sippa sometimes, where she's like. I just need 30 minutes. And as a mother, I'm like, yes, I understand that very much. But um, and I, I did enjoy also because I know Yoda shows up as well. And uh, seeing between the difference between Yoda and Yaddle, I always find is interesting. And, and, you know, you get to write these two iconic characters. Is there anyone else like in the future, like any of the iconic characters that you'd really love to take a crack at? I don't know if I've even thought about that because I've been like recovering from writing characters. <laughs> <laughs> Who else would I? Gosh, that is a really good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've been like super, super into Andor, like 
I've watched the whole series twice already. And mm-hmm. I, I love that idea of going into these in-between moments um, in the original movies and expanding them and also looking at characters that are not necessarily the Jedi. Um, because I, I find that there's just so much good storytelling that can happen in those little in-between moments. So yeah, I think I would probably try to seek for seek seek out something like that. But I don't have my eye on anything in particular right now. I'll, I'll give you an assignment. Well, give us the 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 story of Cyril Karn and his mother. Can we get the entire backstory <laughs> on that? Oh my god, that would be so. Then his love of cereal. So great. Yeah. I know the cereal. <laughs> I just like cereal and the cereal is just like. So <laughs> I just good. have a vision of that in my mind. The mother is like one of the best characters. Yeah. I just like the Star Wars mother's guilt. I mean, like, you know, it's <laughs> just like, oh. I know there could amazing. just be nothing but like Star Wars mother's guilt and mother's <laughs> issues and mother's being killed off and mother's being so much of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like that, she was just fantastic. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. We'll have to see. I, I, I'm going to be doing a little bit of work in phase three. I don't think I'm allowed to announce it yet, but, um, but you know, I'll be able to sort of dig into some new characters, which will be nice. That's awesome. Well, we've saved the most important question for last, Lydia. Okay. <laughs> if you could have a lightsaber, what color would it be? It would probably be green. Why green? Yeah. Green's always been my favorite color. It is the color that first emerges in the spring. That is just for me, like a, a symbol of renewal and a symbol of like sort of energy and beauty and everything, all, all good things. So I love, I love the color green. So I would probably pick green for sure. Been, it would have been great if she said red, right, Lauren? If she'd been like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just going to go like, Sith. Oh. Eh, dark side. I, <laughs> I think we did an interview with like all of the, the High Republic authors. And one of, one of us was like red. And I was like, we were all like, <laughs> uh well look listen it's great uh to chat with you love talking about the process of being part of one of these high republic authors and how it all works and um yeah everyone should absolutely check out star wars cataclysm when it is out april 4th lydia kang thanks so much for hanging out with us thank you so much for having me Thanks to Lydia Kang for hanging out with us this week. And thanks to you for hanging out with us as well. If you have 10 seconds to spare, and honestly, who doesn't? It's 10 seconds we're talking about. Please follow and rate and review the podcast. And we love word of mouth. So please tell your friends about it. That would be awesome. You can also connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross, at Devin Kogan, and at Morglore. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. I love Rex. I love Captain Rex. I always just love Captain Rex. People know I love Rex. That's just, that's my thing. I love Rex.